Apollo Windows and Doors of Wisconsin has six lines to fit your style and financing to fit any budget. Through November 30th, choose 12 months, no payments and no interest, plus 20% off installation. Set your free consultation now at PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. These stories are related. Let me explain. Everybody knows who Joe Manchin is. Joe Manchin is the Democrat from West Virginia, and he's one of two Democrats who is willing to stand up to Joe Biden and party leadership and not say, I'm just going to be a rubber stamp for massive government spending. And because the U.S. Senate is 50 Democrats, 50 Republicans, and the Republicans are united, for example, against Joe Biden's $3.7 trillion um, massive spending program, you need every Democrat vote. Well, they don't have every Democrat vote. Joe Manchin is a what a dying breed. He is a moderate Democrat, and he, together with the senator from Arizona, Senator Cinema, they, they have just been unwilling to go along. And it's frustrated the Bernie Sanderses and the AOCs of the world because they don't have the votes to pass this massive sort of spending plan. So what they've had to do is they've had to scale it back and scale it back. And you have a lot of people that are angry, and, and they still haven't figured out how to do this, and it's exposed all these rifts in the Democrat Party, and Democrats are very upset with each other, and it's one of these circular firing squads. But not only are they upset with each other, but they're really, particularly the progressives, they're really, really angry at Manchin and Cinema. And Cinema has been stalked. You know, we've seen reports of that. People coming up to her on the street and screaming at her and following her. She was going to run in the Boston Marathon, and they were going to stalk her. And, and Manchin has had the, the same thing, because nowadays, if you disagree with somebody, apparently that gives you license to go out and to confront them and to get in their face and to try to cause trouble. The most recent example of this happened yesterday. Um, Manchin is from West Virginia. When he is in and, – and people handle this all sorts of different ways. Um, some pe- Because if you're a senator or you're a congressman, you're, you're not a full-time resident of D.C. So some people have apartments. Some people have houses. Some people uh, live in their offices. I, I think they were trying to pass rules stopping people from doing that. But but some people, they, they live in their offices and they sleep on their couch and they shower at the House or Senate gym in the morning. For Joe Manchin, he has a houseboat in that, that's docked on the Potomac. And so when he's in Washington, D.C., he stays on his houseboat. That's how it works. And then, you know, goes over to the office. Well, he, he parks his car in a garage by where he his, his houseboat is. And apparently, a bunch of activists have figured out where that is. So they have been stalking him. And what happened yesterday is there was a, a pretty ugly confrontation where he's with his aide, he gets into his car, they're going to drive away, and he is surrounded by a group of these out-of-control protesters who surround his car. One of them kind of leans on his hood, One's holding a, a banner, and they're screaming at, at either they're screaming at the driver, whether it's Mansion or whether it's his aide. They're they're screaming at him, trying to prevent the car from being able to move. And the car is moving very very slowly. And of course, as 
because this is 2021 and everybody is proud of this behavior, everybody is videoing this. And so there's all sorts of clips that are out there. Uh, here's like one of the descriptions from one of the protesters. This is Joe Manchin's car slowly pressing into our peaceful protesters, one says. We want to live. We want to live. That phrase, along with the F word as directed to Joe Manchin, is screaming. So they're, they're screaming, blank you. They're screaming, we want to live, we want to live. They're climbing on the guy's car, and, and they're blocking it. All right? And so, of course, everybody is videotaping this instance. Um, it, it's, and, of course, they're, they're proud of it. I'm reading some of the tweets. Watch Joe Manchin drive his car into protesters who are demanding the stop blocking climate provisions in the Build Back Better package on behalf of fossil fuel and other corporate interests. What an awful, selfish, greedy man. Um, you know, it, it goes on and on and on with this awful, again, this really, really bad behavior. So you trap this guy in his parking garage because you disagree with his particular stand. But then you're proud of this. Here, we're going to film ourselves. And, and, and look, he's, he's trying to drive his car slowly while we're climbing onto his car. He should have just, what, sat there for hours until we got exhausted or whatever. But, but that's what passes for public discord nowadays. And, and they're proud of themselves for, for doing this. Now, I was thinking about this story as I want to double back on something I was just talking about with Steve. Over the last several days, I have spent a lot of time watching the Rittenhouse trial, in part because I find it interesting, in part because, you know, we, we talk about it a lot on, on this program. And so last night, I, I went back and watched some of the stuff that I, I wasn't able to see in real time because I was doing the radio show. Now, over the first couple days of the trial, there's been the prosecution has played a lot of video that was recorded the night of the shootings. And, you know, and, and of course, they're, they're playing the video to show, okay, this this is what happened before Rittenhouse had his confrontation with this person or that person or whatever. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But what, what struck me, video after video, and these aren't police videos. These are these are cell phone videos that, that just anybody is taking. You know, everybody shows up at these events nowadays and everybody's got the cell phone in their hand and everybody's filming it because they're hoping something happens. Or it's people from different websites that are there that are filming this. But as I was watching it last night, I kept coming back to something the prosecutor said in the opening statement, which was he described Rittenhouse as a chaos tourist, which I don't know if that was his phrase or I had never heard that phrase before, but it was, I think, the idea that, okay, we had this volatile situation and he came as a tourist into this. Actually, I, I think that's a fair description of Kyle Rittenhouse. But you know what? It's a fair description of almost, if not everybody, who was on the scene that night, that third night of the riots, protests, whatever phrase you want to use. I, I'm watching the video, and what you have is a lot of people, particularly primarily young people, but you have people, it, it's, it's like a happening. It's just people milling around, screaming at, at each other, people throwing rocks, people, um, if, you, if you watch some of the things, people like dancing and stuff so they can get captured on somebody else's is video. It, it's just one thing after another. You have all these people that are there, not because they're they're protesting, not because they're trying to protect stuff, but rather they're, they're there because it's just something going on. And if it's if Rittenhouse is a is a tourist chaos, which uh, a chaos tourist, which he might be, 
Everybody else that was there that night is. And I'm listening to the video, and you can't play the video, you can't play the audio from these videos on the radio or on TV because every second word is the F word. Blank the police. Blank you. Blank you. Where is the blanking this? Where is the blanking that? It's this, this sort of out of control mob which is running around everybody looking for trouble. Now, let me be real clear here. Right? There's no question if you're trying to find responsibility for the shootings that happened that night, the, the responsibility for that lies on Rittenhouse and the people that confronted him. And a jury is going to decide in a week or two, you know, whether or not that that rises to the level of criminal culpability. So I, I, I get that. I mean, Rittenhouse is the guy who pulled the trigger. And the question is, was he attacked? What did he do? We'll, we'll talk about all that in a minute. But my larger point is. This doesn't happen if it's not everybody else down there just milling around looking to cause trouble. If this just wasn't, if this wasn't an event uh, happening, hey, there's stuff going on, they're burning stuff, let's go down there and be part of it. If people would have just stayed away in the first place, none of this stuff happens. And yet you look at the videos and and you just see people, and again, I, I don't care I don't care what side they're on. I don't care if it's there, people there to scream because they want to support the social justice movement or whether it's people that want to protect car places from being burned down. It's just everybody is there in this giant milling around section trying to essentially look for and or cause trouble and be in the middle of this. And then, of course, you've got the problem with law enforcement who was overwhelmed, particularly the first two nights, and didn't have enough people to deal with all these people. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, from a criminal perspective, I I understand the person, the person or persons responsible for the shooting are Rittenhouse and and the people that engaged him. All right. I'm not trying to minimize that. But watching the video, And just watching all these people who were there that night, I think almost everybody that was there bears some indirect responsibility for what happened. If people would have just stayed away, this would not have happened. And if you watch the video and listen to the audio, it, it, it was inevitable that something like this was going to happen. Not necessarily a 17-year-old, you know, taking the gun and shooting people when you've got somebody who's clearly got mental problems who attacks him or jumps at him or lunges at him or whatever you want to say. But it was clear that something bad was going to happen. And it, in my opinion, it was because there were so many people who came down there to just be, in the words of the prosecutor, these chaos tourists, because th- this this is the happening. This is where people are. Let's go to be in the middle of this. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If people would have just stayed home, period, if people would have stayed away, if people hadn't have been so obsessed with being, we want to be part of the scene. And so we're going to be there and we're going to film it and we're going to scream stuff at the top of our lungs and we're going to engage. If people would have just stayed home, None of this would have happened. And that's why I firmly believe that at least indirectly, everybody that decided to go down there bears some responsibility for what happened. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Doug in Milwaukee. Hi, Doug. You're on WTMJ. 
Well, hi, Jeff. I, I, I think that's a great point, and I, I like the term uh, chaos tourist. Uh, I, I think it does apply, and I think you're right about it. But to be really fair, and we've got to look at all the different paradigms from both sides, I personally think January 6th was a little bit of that, too. I, I don't disagree. I, I think, right, I mean, you have, uh, right, and I think a lot of people bear responsibility for that. And, and if we want to use that, I, I think Trump bears some responsibility for that, too. Maybe, maybe not legal responsibility, but, yeah, you, you have a mob, you whip up the mob, <laughs> and then you're surprised when the mob acts out. I, I think I think there are parallels there and 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 you, i think that my that's what i was thinking of when i'm watching the stuff going on in in august of 2020 you've got this mob down there they have no good purpose for being there you got people throwing stuff back and forth it was an absolute total crap show from the beginning and you knew something bad was going to happen and if people would have stayed home you wouldn't have had that issue yeah i agree with you yeah and and, and uh, i agree with august 20th as well i think it's the exact the exact same thing, and, and we got to do something to try to prevent that from happening in the future on, uh, from any aspect. It's I, just a bad thing. I agree. No, I, I agree completely, and I think that's that is one of the lessons. And, and the other lesson A1 was this is what happens when you have a mob that gets out of, of control. Um, you know, lesson B is this is what happens when authorities are unable to control the, the situation. And, and this started two nights ago, that the two nights before the, the Rittenhouse situation. And, and it, you know, I mean, I, I've talked to I've talked to the Kenosha County Sheriff. He, he admits they authorities were outmanned on those first two nights of this. Now, you know that there there weren't enough National Guard members. They weren't given the authority to go out and try to get people in the crowd. The, the, the general reaction was, we're not going to arrest people because we're outnumbered. We don't want to make this worse. Well, all that did was embolden the people that were going to come down there and act like yahoos. And, and I think, you know, lesson B, to your point, Doug, is that I think one of the ways you prevent this in the future is you don't let this stuff get out of control in, in the first place. You You don't. You don't let people go on rampages, you know, burning 30, 40 businesses and things like that. You stop that and then you impose curfews and then you, you arrest people and you haul people off the streets because we know nothing good happens. And again, I'm, I'm watching the, these videos from that third night and I don't care which one you see. And I understand the prosecution and the defense are focusing on Rittenhouse and uh, the victims. And yeah, I use that word victims. He shot him. I, 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 oh, they're focusing on that. I was just kind of focusing in addition on all the background of stuff that, that's going on. It's like Lord of the Flies. You knew there was going to be trouble because you had all these people that were down there who, who had, who, who were just there either to be chaos tourists or to cause trouble or whatever. They're searching for their five minutes of fame. I, I'm watch, you, you watch some of these videos that are taken, and there'll be the guy walking with the phone and stuff, and somebody will come up and go, hey, hey, bro, dance for me. I want you to be my meme. And so the guy dances and then jumps on the bike and, and rides off. I mean, it was just people, it was... It was almost like, gee, we've got something happening here. This is like the Bucks are getting ready to win the the world championship. Let's all go down and have this giant street party, except everybody's going to be angry. Again, when I say this, I say an indirect responsibility. I understand that that everybody that was there last night that night isn't the one that you know pulled the trigger or did anything like that. But everybody that was there was contributing to this atmosphere of chaos that made some of these things, you know, inevitable. Um, and, and, and you see this. Here's a text. Jeff, 
you had buildings burning all through Minneapolis, Seattle. What did people think that was going to happen? Sooner or later, the public will take this into their own hands when they see that the police have their hands tied. And I, I mean, I think that was the perception and the feeling that drove some of the people, the, the paramilitary type of people that, that, that come to Kenosha that night. And and, and that was, they, they shouldn't have had to do that. And the, the protesters should have gone home and done that. And law enforcement should have been able to get a better control of this. But you watch this entire scene. And I, I just, I think that that's one thing to maybe think about, you know, moving forward, that nothing good happens in these particular types of situations and that people who don't belong there might be better off instead of running down because, hey, I hear there's going to be a third night of protests in Milwaukee or Madison or Kenosha or whatever. Let's go down to be part of the scene, man. Maybe you would be better off just Eh, let's see what's on TV that night or let, let's go have let's go have a beer and, and chill out as opposed to running into the middle of this stuff. And then you get caught up in all the excitement and the thing and everybody's screaming blank the police. Well, I'm going to scream blank the police or or people are responding and you get in everybody's face. Nothing good was going to come of anything that had happened the first night, the second night and certainly the third night. And the people that gratuitously decided to be part of that because it was a cool thing to do. Well, you know, maybe you bear some indirect responsibility for helping create and fuel the atmosphere that led to a couple people losing their lives and somebody else being shot. And maybe that's something to think about in the future. All right. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Um, the Rittenhouse trial started. They picked the jury on Monday. Good for the judge to get it done in one day. Testimony has been going on for the balance of the week. A couple key witnesses who ended up testifying yesterday. On Monday, the prosecution says it will call the, the guy who was shot but was not killed. And the def- prosecution says they think that they're going to wrap up their presentation by Tuesday. At least that's what they're saying now. Obviously, that can change. And then, of course, the, the defense, if it chooses, will um, be able to proceed. In his opening statement, the defense attorney suggested that, that Kyle Rittenhouse would be testifying. Uh, as I've said repeatedly, even though a defendant doesn't have an obligation to testify, normally it, it's tough, in my opinion, to sell a self-defense defense if you don't get on the witness stand and testify. Now, some analysts who I think agree with that basic statement think that the the prosecution's case thus far has been so flawed that that Rittenhouse might testify, might not testify, and simply argue that based on what the prosecution has presented, it's a clear case of self-defense. I, I don't know. I still think that that would be risky, but I don't know how the whole thing is going to play out. In any event, there has been a week of testimony. Some of I think maybe some of the the new stuff and some of the the key details you you heard from the friend of Rittenhouse who had procured the gun for him, even though he he wasn't of age, and talked about how they they, they went down to Kenosha. It wasn't really 
it wasn't really a planned thing like, hey, we're part of some like national organization. It was more like, hey, we hear there's been rioting. They go down, they look at the, they see the burned out buildings. They talk to one of the guys that owned one of those, those used car lots or whatever, talk to him during the day, and then make an informal agreement that they're going to come back at night. So at least thus far, the prosecution hasn't been able to present any evidence saying that this was part of some giant conspiracy and that he was part of some right-wing paramilitary group as opposed to just maybe what was that phrase we were using in the last segment just kind of a chaos tourist who came down and and so for people who thought he was part of like this is a member of the proud boys and stuff that that's not the way the evidence is coming in a trial but still you've got a 17 year old kid who shouldn't have had a gun who was in that that spot the other things that's emerging from the testimony is the first person that was shot, Mr. Rosenbaum, um, apparently had some mental issues. He was there and was behaving belligerently and threatening people during the, the course of the evening. There's been lots of testimony that suggested that, going as far as to tell some of the people, including Rittenhouse, that if he caught him alone, he was going to kill him, etc., etc. And then you had the testimony yesterday about that situation, Rosenbaum apparently chasing Rittenhouse. And I'm not sure if it was ever clear who was chasing who, but the testimony yesterday said Rosenbaum chasing Rittenhouse, and Rosenbaum lunges at the gun. And this was a big source of a lot of testimony yesterday. He lunges at Rittenhouse's gun, and as he's trying to grab for the gun, Rittenhouse shoots him four times. He's kind of steps to the side and shoots him four times. And so the I think the prosecution was trying to suggest that the threat was over, that, that Rittenhouse had stepped aside and had avoided him so there was he wasn't jumping at the gun anymore the defense's perspective is going to be that this all happened instantaneously the guy was grabbing for the gun and Rittenhouse moved and shot so that's kind of where the testimony was yesterday and the the elements of course going to be whether or not that is sufficient for self-defense all right our number 855-616-1620 that's the accurate mortgage talk and text line it's early no question about it. And if Rittenhouse hits the witness stand, that ultimately could be a game changer one way or the other. I, I said yesterday that I think the yesterday and I think most commentators would agree it was a bad day for the prosecution simply because the, the various witnesses they called, I, I think, yet yes, they said what they wanted to say as far as describing the events. But at the same time, they also provided background, which certainly gives the defense an opportunity to argue self-defense, namely, well, yeah, Rosenbaum, before he got shot, he was an agitator, and he was screaming at people, and he was threatening people, and he ran at Kyle, or he ran ran at Rittenhouse. So there was stuff for both sides, and if you're a prosecutor, you typically don't want there to be stuff for both sides coming out when we were presenting your witnesses. But let's let's tee this up. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's it's not even halftime in the game yet, to use a sports analogy. But who's ahead? Do you think what do you think the verdict in this case is going to be? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. But like I say, it, it's it's difficult to know how trials are going to turn out in, in the middle of the trial. But I think we're getting a, a general sense 
of what evidence the prosecution has. Now, maybe that dynamic is going to change a little bit with some some of the other witnesses they present, because candidly, everybody that they put on thus far that's been a non-law enforcement witness has been people who were friends of Kyle Rittenhouse or people whose observations, especially with the first shooting, and there's, there's no question here that the man who was shot first, Rosenbaum, he, he clearly was the aggressor. He was the one that was chasing Rittenhouse. He was the one that lunged at Rittenhouse in an attempt to grab a gun. Now, whether that justifies Rittenhouse shooting him because he lunged at him, that, that's a different story. But there's no question that Mr. Rosenbaum um, was, in fact, the, the aggressor in this situation. Uh, the other people that, that again, we're going to wait to hear more testimony about that. But what do you think is going to happen? Let's start with Marcus on the north side. Marcus, hello. Hey, how you doing, Jeff? Great Good. show today. Nice. Uh, happy Friday. Same to okay, you. Here's what's going to happen. Um, I've been paying attention to the whole trial. I've been watching uh, as much as I can. And at this point, uh, he will he will be acquitted. The, he's going to get time served. Rittenhauser will get time served. And I think that at, at best, six months to a year, if that, if he gets any sentence, mm-hmm. it'll be six months to a year. He's not going to get the time that people think. So if he gets six months to a year, because he's going to get charged with that, he's the, under 18 years of age. He's got this a gun. He's got this gun that he shouldn't have. Right, right. right. And that's, so, a mis- that's a misdemeanor. So right there, just, just to... There's there's right. six major charges against him, and then there's a citation. But one is first-degree reckless homicide. That's the shooting of the first guy, Joseph Rosenbaum. First-degree right. recklessly endangering safety. That's McGinnis. That's the reporter who testified yesterday who was in right. the vicinity. Um, first-degree recklessly endangering safety, an unknown male. Um, and then the the shootings of Huber and Gage Gage. Um, uh, Grosskreutz. And then the, the one count that you're talking about, that, that I agree, it's a misdemeanor possession of a dangerous weapon right. by a person under age 18, which carries a maximum penalty, I believe, of nine months. Yeah. So you you think he's going right. down on that I, one? I was, pretty, I, was, I was pretty close on that yeah. one. I said six months to a year. And that that's he ma- may get served on that. Right. Right. Okay. Now, so now, can you answer as, as, as your point? Can you say it will, it, will, it, will he get time served because so if he's fully acquitted, but can you answer that question? So will he get time served then because the way the trial is playing out? So if he gets acquitted of all this, which I, he's going to get acquitted of all this. So will he will he serve zero time because he's been, you know, he paid his bail. He's been out. So will he get time served? Well, and ta- I'll, I'll hang up. And look. OK, well, thanks to Colmar. I mean, time time served is is just you get credit regardless. You get credit for any time that he might have been in jail. And I, I don't know how long he was in jail between the time he was arrested and before he posted bail. I, I don't think it was a huge amount of time. But, yeah, he'd get credit for that. My guess would be that if he were convicted of that charge of possession of a dangerous weapon by a person under the age of 18, my guess is he, he would get he, – he would – he'd be sentenced and it, it would be – 
would it be nine months? I don't know. Nine months, six months. Don't don't exactly know. But my guess is he, he'd serve a little bit of time, but just a little bit of time. That's quite different than um, you know life in prison with the possibility of parole being twenty years out. So uh, that possession of a dangerous weapon by a person under the age of eighteen. Yeah, it seems to me that that's a pretty straightforward count as well. And and if you're looking for something he's going to be guilty of, found guilty of, I think that that would probably be one. He shouldn't have had the gun. The I will tell you this right now, if, if that was the only guilty verdict, the defense would be just turning uh, handstands. 855-616-1620, is he going to get acquitted on the shooting charges? Will the self-defense defense work? Let's talk to JC. JC, you're on WTMJ. Uh, hello, Jeff. Hi. Uh, great show. Thank you. Um, yes, great show. Thank you. Um, uh, my op- opinion, your first question is no. What I've seen so far has not changed my mind. I, from the beginning, have believed he did act in self-defense. Um, the other gentleman stole kind of my thunder that I do believe he'll get convicted on something. I don't see how not that one being carrying the gun illegally. I just don't see how that could go away. But then my question for your legal expertise, and I've been wondering this all along, is if you break one law, the law we're talking about, does that like give up your right then to self-defense? Like, let's say the jury agrees it was self-defense, but breaking that one law, does that give up all your rights to defend yourself? Well, see, I, I, I don't understand how the law works. Well, uh, thanks to call JC, and that that is, I, and I appreciate the, that's a very good question. My uh, my general sense to answer your question is no. But the prosecution may, in fact, try to make that, that argument. It, it, the, 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 all the different permutations of self-defense here are, are really, it's like a law school exam. The prosecution may intend to argue that because he unlawfully had that gun in the first place, anything he does after that cannot be subject to self-defense. And there might be a basis for making that argument. I don't think the judge is going to buy into that. Uh, I, I just, I, I don't. But there there. There may be a basis in law for making that argument, I, I, but I, I don't think that one's going to go anywhere. I, I think the other interesting thing about this is, is whether or not – I keep talking about what I call the doctrine of provocation. They might call it something else in, in Wisconsin. But, but let's, let's say that let's say you decide that the shooting of the first guy, Mr. Rosenbaum, the one who had been screaming that night and had been threatening people and the guy who was chasing Rittenhouse and who lunged at the gun. Let us say, just for the sake of argument, that the jury looks at that and then says, okay, that, that's a legitimate exercise in self-defense. He was, he was trying to, you know, he was trying to grab the gun. We, we think that's self-defense. All right, then you have the, the situation with the other two, who then, having seen the shooting, presumably, they try to take down, um, they try to, to take, take down um, Rittenhouse. So, and, and I, when I talk about the doctrine of provocation, what I mean is, if you walk into a, a workplace, let's say, and you've got a handgun, and you shoot somebody in front of 20 of your coworkers, you shoot them, and then they all jump on you to try to disarm you and to try to hold you for the police, right? You, you can't then say, well, I was I, I shot three of them because I was exercising my right of self-defense, if, if that makes any sense to you. you. You've committed this crime. You have people who are trying to just stop you from 
arguably shooting other people or hold you for the cops or whatever, you, you can't use self-defense there. So that raises the issue. Okay, let's say that first shooting was in self-defense. Um, he's, he's running away. You have other people that are running after him and are jumping on him. Now, maybe their intention is to tackle him, to hold him for the police or to stop him from shooting somebody else. Uh, in that case, d- does he have the right to, okay, yeah, he gets hit in the head by a skateboard, but is it legitimate self-defense if the person with the skateboard is trying to detain him? Hey, I watched this guy shoot somebody in cold blood. I'm trying to stop him from getting away or from maybe shooting somebody else. So that that's an issue that's going to be out there that the jury is going to have to end up you know, wrestling with. And at least right now, we haven't heard a lot of testimony about what went on with regard to the second and the third People who people who were shot, we will hear from um, the guy who was shot but not killed on on Monday. But you know that's another one of these issues that that's out there. I do think that as to the first shooting, there is a pretty compelling case under the law for self defense. The problem Rittenhouse has, and let's be honest here, is that there's going to be a lot of people on the jury probably and a lot of people who, who look at this and say he shouldn't have been there in the first place. You know, he's the one that set the wheels of this horrible thing in motion by showing up with a gun that he wasn't legally entitled to own and, and walking a- around with it. And if he hadn't have put himself in that situation in the first place, none of, of this would have happened. And there might be some people who are reluctant to buy into the self-defense argument because of what he did in the first place. So you've got that issue that's out there as well. We continue the conversation in a moment. Here's a text, Jeff. So if a felon uses a gun and kills someone, you think they would only get charged with gun possession? They both had the gun illegally. And, well, I mean, let's take an example. Let's say you've got somebody who is a felon. Someone breaks into their house at 3 o'clock in the morning and is menacing them and their family. There happens to be a gun in the nightstand. They grab the gun and shoot the intruder. Clear self-defense, clearly a righteous shooting. Yeah, I think as the prosecutor, you maybe charge the person with being a felon in possession of the firearm because they're not allowed to have the gun. But as far as charging him with murder or something under those circumstances, don't don't think that's going to happen. Scott, New Berlin. Hi, Scott. What do you think about all this? Well, (laughs) that's the timing. As soon as you come on the phone, the dog starts barking. I get it. What do you think? Yeah, I'll try back later. Okay, thanks for the call. Yeah, I, I, I'll try back later. I, I believe me. I, I, I understand. It's, it's just like okay. That yesterday, what was? Yeah, it was yesterday morning. I was on. uh, Wisconsin's morning news at like seven fifty in the morning, and so I'm upstairs. I'm in my office. I'm I'm getting ready, and they 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 they, they call, and I have my little dog in in my lap, and she's perfectly quiet and happy, and she's looking out the window. And, and no sooner does the phone ring as they're calling me to be on the air than Sasha's looking out, and the lady across the street is walking their dog, to which. Sasha then decides that that's when she's going to start barking. And I'm thinking, okay, two minutes before this hit, you know, five minutes after, no problem at all, no big deal. But it's right when I'm getting the call. So I understand how dogs work. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, so Mike Spaulding, during your newscast, you were talking about the one witness this morning who was on the scene, and he was describing the shout, shove, show, shoot as, as his training and stuff. 
Yes, the four S's. You know where that comes from? N- no idea. I it it's it's uh, that that is those are the rules of engagement that are taught to combat soldiers. That would make sense because the gentleman speaking was in the Marine Corps. Yeah, and and actually there's five. It's shout, shove. So shout, shove, show your gun, shoot, and then the fifth one that he didn't mention is shoot to kill. Th- those are the, the, the but they're like the rules of engagement, which is is maybe what you t- teach combat soldiers. You don't necessarily that's what you teach combat soldiers in a combat situation, not necessarily civilians who are on the streets in Kenosha at, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning or whatever. But that's where they come from. That's the rules of combat, engagement for combat soldiers. Okay, th- this trial, it's just, it's, <laughs> it's just fascinating. The witness on the stand right now is a relative of Joseph Rosenbaum. He was the first man that was was killed. And and there, he, he had just, I'm not sure they're going to tell the jury this, but it came out in pretrial hearings. He had just been released from a, a mental facility in Milwaukee, and he was down in Kenosha. And now the, and, and so this is a relative of his, I believe, who's in the process of testifying how he got into the, the downtown area and what was in that bag that he was, was carrying that night. Cause there were all sorts of different reports about what was in it and, and what it essentially was was stuff that he had after he'd been released from the, the facility. So it, it's, it's kind of interesting to see how this happening because they're, um, they're, they're, they're kind of tap dancing around. The prosecution is trying not to open the door too wide to allow the defense to explore in great, too great a detail the, the background of um, the, the victim in this case. And, yes, I call them victims, even though the judge doesn't want to do that. Okay. It, it, we talked about this yesterday, and it really is interesting to me because it, it's turning into – a, what I would describe as a bridge too far for the, the Biden administration. Now, I, I, I try to argue, and I understand my position on COVID vaccines is, is a little bit nuanced for some people, but I I believe that people should get vaccinated. I, I am vaccinated. That was a choice I made. And I believe that unless you have a really good, compelling reason not to, it's in everybody's interest, but mostly it's in your interest to, to get vaccinated. And I understand that vaccinations are, are not perfect. And as somebody who had COVID before I got vaccinated, I understand also that I have antibodies and all. But I guess my general philosophy was I don't think it can hurt. I think the vaccines are safe. I've never had significant allergic reactions to any vaccines, including the flu shot that I get every year. So for me, it was a no-brainer vaccine becomes available I, I get it and when it's convenient I'll, I'll get the booster shot as well and I think you know in general uh, even though it, it's not perfect and even though there are breakthrough cases I think it, it you can't argue with the fact that if you have been vaccinated if you get a breakthrough case you are much less likely to suffer any sort of severe reaction not saying it's impossible but it is not that likely. You know, the people who are most likely to have some sort of severe illness through a breakthrough case are people who are have some sort of uh, immune immune disease or they're compromised in some fashion or, you know, tend to have all sorts of other health things. So in general, I think it's a good idea to get it. I also believe that employers should have the right to set rules for their workplace. I think an employer should have the right, if they look at their workplace, to say, look, we want people vaccinated. 
And if you're not vaccinated, we're sorry, we're going to have to terminate you. I think employee employers have the right to do it, just like then employees have the decision to say, okay, well, I, I don't have to work here. I'll, I'll go work somewhere else. So I, I, employers, I think, have the rights to figure out right to figure out what's right for their workplace. And I think in general, it's good for people to get vaccinated. Now, having said that, I do not believe the federal government has the right to tell employers what their policy has to be with regard to vaccinations. Now, I know that you have OSHA, and OSHA has all sorts of regulations regarding workplace safety, saying, you know, the you, you can't have saws here or whatever. But when it comes to vaccinations, I don't think the federal government has the right or the authority to tell individual workers Every one of your workers has to be vaccinated, or if they're not going to be vaccinated, they have to be tested once a week. I think that that is an overreach. Now, some of you disagree. I respect that, but some of you disagree. But that is precisely what the Biden administration did yesterday. Without any sort of legislation, without a law passed by, you know, both houses of Congress and signed in by the president, the government just decided here, this is our rule, and we are going to say that by January 4th, Everybody in a workplace has to be vaccinated or they have to be tested once a week. And we don't care what the workplace is. We don't care if it makes sense or not. This is it. And it's nothing but an attempt to try to force people to get vaccinated against their will and to pressure employers to do that. Now, I happen to think that that is too far. I don't think the government has the right to tell people, employers, that they have to force their employees to be vaccinated. Well, I do believe, like I've said, that employers have the right to do it. If they decide it on their, cell, on their own, that, that's fine. So Biden goes ahead and does that. He issues this order. And the response has been immediate. You have lawsuits that are already being filed all over the country, including speculation that I think so far 11 attorneys general in from 11 different states have already committed to filing lawsuits. My guess is that you're going to probably have 25 or 26 such lawsuits within the next week or so, just viewing this as an overreach. Look, and I understand we all want our we all want to get out of the pandemic. I, I get it. And I happen to agree with the basic notion that the quickest way out of the pandemic is to get more and more people vaccinated. But that's different than the government telling employers that they are responsible for forcing their workers to get vaccinated. And obviously, Biden does not see it that way. But this I was kind of surprised at how vociferous the response was. So for people who think that this is, in fact, going to be the case, I'd say wait and see, because like I say, there's already been all sorts of lawsuits filed. My guess is somewhere, somehow along the line, you're going to have some courts that are going to stop this order that will enjoin it. And ultimately, I guess the Supreme Court's going to make a decision one way or the other. But if I were a betting guy, and by the way, I am a betting guy, I think the Biden administration probably loses on this one stick around jeff wagner on wtmj nikki haley is the former u.s ambassador to the united nations she's also the former governor of south carolina she is viewed among a handful of others as a leading candidate for the Republican nomination in 2024. And I understand the, the shadow of Donald Trump looms over all that. But but Nikki Haley is is one of the people that's I think would be on a, on a short list of potential candidates, along with uh, Ron DeSantis from Florida and Mike Pence. 
Nikki Haley, probably a couple others as well, but she's certainly one of them. All right. She made some news yesterday because she has come out and she has called for older politicians to be required under the law to take a cognitive test um, every year to prove that essentially they haven't lost it. Here's what she says. She says, well, I'll tell you, rather than making this about a person, talking about Joe Biden, we seriously need to have a conversation that if you're going to have someone above a certain age in a position of power, whether it's the House, whether it's the Senate, whether it's the Vice President, whether it's the President, you should have some sort of cognitive test. She noticed that politicians release their tax returns for public inspection, and she said they should undergo similar scrutiny of their mental state. Right now, let's face it, we've got a lot of people in leadership positions that are old, and that's not being disrespectful. It's a fact. And when it comes to that, this shouldn't be partisan. We should seriously look at the ages of people that are running our country and understand if that's what we want. Biden, of course, is 78. Trump right now is 75. If he were to run for office and be elected in 2004, he'd be probably, I think, 78 would be where he is. You've got a number of senators who are in their 80s. You've got a couple senators who are in their 90s. You've got Lord knows how many members of the House of Representatives who are in their 80s and 90s. And you've got some... I mean, look, some serious concerns out there, and I I haven't played into this, but I know there's a lot of people who think that Joe Biden has been slipping cognitively. Uh, There's, He was at this summit last week, and there's a report of him, quote-unquote, dozing off in in the middle of the day. Well, I I, I don't know. That can happen to somebody at 79, but it can happen to somebody who's 39. There's a number of other questions about, you know, is Joe Biden in the loop? Is he punched out of various stuff? Um, And I I think it's always important when we talk about these things not to just focus on, okay, we, we need a rule for Joe Biden, but maybe you have a rule for everybody. 855-616-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I have, and I know this is controversial as well, I have have always believed that there should be, just like we have lower age limits, you know, you have to be X number of years old to run for this office or have to be 35 to be the President of the United States, Um, I have always believed that there should be upper age limits as well. And I guess what that age is is debatable. But if we're not going to have upper age limits, what do you think about Nikki Haley's suggestion that we should have cognitive tests on politicians over a particular age? Figure out what the age is, 65, 70, 75, 80, 85, whatever that is. Would it be reasonable to have cognitive tests that are then made public so... I don't know any concerns that people might have about whether or not somebody is slipping because of age. Well, you, you find that out. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think about her suggestion? Cognitive tests. And this wouldn't, and, and she's trying to understand, we're having this conversation about Biden because of Biden's age and because of some of the things that have been going on. But what about the big picture? I mean, my gosh, you look at a lot of people in the U.S. Senate, Republicans and Democrats, and you go 80s and 90s. Hmm. What do you think? Cognitive tests. We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Nikki Haley saying, hey, we, we, what we should have is we should recognize that there, there is this, this aging process and it impacts people. And the reality is 
with our political system nowadays, there it's very, very much weighted towards incumbents. And we also have people who decide that they, they get in there, and even though they have to run for re-election every two years or every six years, if they're in safe seats, they're, they're not going to be challenged, and they stay well into their 80s and into their 90s. And I think, f- objectively speaking, what you see is when people stay that long, they they start to lose it a little bit. That's just the, the reality. Um, there, there's just no question about it. So she's saying, hey, look, if we, what we should do is cognitive testing, figure out what that age might be, and then have cognitive testing just to make sure we can measure whether or not people are slipping. Because do you really want the president of the United States? Again, let, let's, let's take Joe Biden out of this, but let's, let's talk about presumptively moving forward. Do you, I mean, do we want to have checks to make sure if the president of the United States is starting to fail? Should people know that? 855-616-1620. Jeff, I think cognitive tests should be mandatory for anyone over 65. Term limits for Congress and the Supreme Court. Actually, if you don't do cognitive testing, and I, I've argued this before, I think that there should be upper age restrictions, just like in pri- the private sector. A lot of places, there are mandatory retirement ages. You look at most major law firms. I'm familiar with that because I'll give as, use that as an example. And most major law firms have mandatory retirement ages. Some are 65, some are 70. But by the, the time you hit 70, maybe some let you stay longer. But generally, by the time you hit 70, and this is true in big business as well, it, it's it's out. You know, you that that's it. You've hit 70. It's retirement age, and it's time to move on. And, and maybe there's some sort of glide path to help you get out there. But you're you're looking at retirement because. First of all, you've got it's in the interest of the company to clear the way for younger people. And secondly, because I think everybody realizes that for most people, you tend to slow down once you hit a certain age. And I say that knowing that I'm a lot closer to 70 than I am to 30, a lot closer to 70 than 30, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Jeff, I agree with the cognitive tests. I also believe in limiting terms, whether it's Congress or the Supreme Court. I'm, again, I'm, I'm less inclined with term limits, but than I am with, with upper age limits. You know, we've talked about this before from the perspective of the United States Supreme Court. You have Supreme Court justices, and I understand it's a lifetime appointment, but I, I you know, when Congress, when the, when the founding fathers created the Supreme Court, and talked about lifetime appointments. That the the average life expectancy was in the 30s or 40s. I, I I pulled up those numbers a little while ago. Now part of it was because a lot of people, admittedly, a lot of people died in in as children. You know, you had the different diseases. But there's there's no way the founding fathers would have anticipated a time where gee, you've got people that are routinely you know working into their like upper 70s and 80s and 90s. And so you know when when life expectancy and the average person's only going to live to be in their 40s, and you will have some exceptions. I don't think our founding fathers ever envisioned a situation where you're going to have people living that long. And that's a great thing. Don't get me wrong. It's a great thing that we are life expectancies have increased like this and you know hopefully you can be incredibly productive but I, I just I don't think that I don't think that members of the Supreme Court for example people should be working into their 80s or 85 or 90 degree 90 years old I think it's time to get newer younger people that are in there who are also again incredibly talented and I think it's the same thing 
with regard to um, elected office. I think just like we say to be the president, you got to be 35 years old, right? I, I think we should say that, you know, the you you cannot run for president. I don't know. Um, you, you have to be 75 at the time you are sworn in, and you, you can't. So that would allow you, you don't have to leave in the middle of the term or something, but it does say that, okay, if you're elected at the age of 75, that means that, okay, you've got three or four more years, and then you're going to be gone. I, I don't think that's an unreasonable thing. Jeff, I think all people requiring running for political office should be required to take cognitive tests, just not ones over a certain age. Well, at some point in time, the question becomes, you know, wh- what are you attempting to accomplish with that particular situation? In any event, Nikki Haley is out doing that. It's clearly a shot across Joe Biden's bow, but that doesn't mean that it's not a good idea. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, so Aaron Rodgers speaks. Um, it goes on the Pat McAfee show. Let me give you just a sample of what he said. Yeah, all right. He says, first of all, I realize I am in the crosshairs of the woke mob right now. So before the final nail gets put in my cancel culture casket, try saying that three times quickly, before the final nail gets put in my cancel culture casket, I'd like to set the record straight on some of the blatant lies that are out there about me now. He says he conducted vast research with medical professionals and discovered he has an allergy to an ingredient in the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines. He says issues that arose with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine caused him to reportedly shy away from the traditional three vaccines that that he took. So that's why he decided to go the other way. I'm not an anti-vax flat earther. I have an allergy to an ingredient that's in the mRNA vaccines. I found a long-term immunization protocol to protect myself, and I'm very proud of the research that went into it. Okay, he continues, and one of the questions was, well, okay, if that's the case, why did you lie to reporters about this? And this is where he was asked the question, are you vaccinated? And he said, yeah, I've been immunized. He said, no, I didn't lie. When he said, yeah, I'm I'm immunized in response to being asked if he was vaccinated. He said that if someone had asked a follow-up question, he would have explained much what he just told everybody. So in other words, it was the fault of the reporters for not picking up that he was, again, parsing words. So it was the fault of the reporters for not asking the appropriate follow-up questions. He went on to, I think it would be fair to say, question vaccinations. As we said, he said, the idea that it's the pandemic of the unvaccinated, it's just a total lie. It's just a total lie. If the vaccine is so great, then how come people are still getting COVID and spreading COVID? So you, you get the idea. Okay, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, let me just... Here's how I see this whole Aaron Rodgers thing, and feel free to agree or disagree, and we're going to discuss whether his comments today change the way you you view this. Um, First of all, I I think he has the right, just as we all do, to decide whether we want to get vaccinated or not, and and that's that's just the case. Having said that, I'm sorry, with all due respect to Mr. Rogers, his argument that, well... 
I, I just now I, I didn't lie. And if people had, had just asked me follow ups, I would have shared what I shared now. I, I think that's bull. <laughs> I think he clearly wanted to, for whatever reason, wanted to create the impression that he had been he had, in fact, been vaccinated. And and that's why he answered as he did. Now, yes, should some reporter have caught that Aaron Rodgers was being clever and parsing language and asked a follow up? Well, what do you mean? We asked you if you're vaccinated. You said you're immunized. But clearly, I think he intended to create the impression that he had, in fact, been vaccinated when he, he wasn't. And if you want to call it a lie or a deception or whatever, that, that's fine. But he was not being upfront, in my opinion, with the media. It was a direct question, and he, uh, again, used he, – he dodged it, I guess, but he did it in such a way without letting people know he was dodging it. That's the second one. I guess my third take on this is, is – and this is if you choose to be unvaccinated, you have the right to do that. But there are all these protocols then that you need to follow. And I guess this is the other thing that's still out there. I think it is readily apparent to most people that Aaron Rodgers did not follow many of the protocols that were required. And and whether the Packers were just so glad to have him back that they didn't want to rock the boat or whether just like, you know, Michael Jordan got to make his own rules because he was such a great player. Aaron Rodgers gets to make his own rules that such as he's a great player. But I think it's very, very clear, you know, he, he's showing up and doing media interviews and he's not wearing a mask and he's not wearing masks, you know, after the games and things like that. Not to mention, I mean, who knows if he was traveling separate from the team or all these other protocols, but it does seem and not to mention the fact that if you're not vaccinated, the rules say you're not supposed to be going to large Halloween parties inside with more than 15 people. But anyhow, that's Roger's explanation. He says, I I didn't lie. They essentially they didn't just didn't ask the right question. And I've done my own research and I was concerned that I was had an allergy to these first two. And then there were other issues with J&J. So I just decided to go off on my own. 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Does it does it change anything? Does his response change anything and i guess for me look he has the right to be unvaccinated that, that that's never that's never been an issue i think the way he went about it the way he carried himself the way he presented it to the world and whether or not he followed protocols to me that's the larger issue 855-616-1620 that's the accident mortgage talk and text line i mean if you don't want to be vaccinated that that's fine but the NFL has all these different rules that you then have to follow if you're not vaccinated. And if you didn't follow those because you're Aaron Rodgers and some schlump third string quarterback has to follow them, that's a different story. Let's start with Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. I have two thoughts. First, Aaron Rodgers is not a healthcare subject matter expert. And he, he um, needs to realize that him doing research is not the same thing as having gone to, gone to school mm-hmm. uh, f- to be one. And then secondly, I think that if he did what he did um, and, he, and he was not Aaron Rodgers and just an employee in some, in some other company or something, he would be in a lot of trouble. And I don't think that um, there would be any dispute that he was being dishonest or lying. Yeah, I mean, so so his his explanation in answering those questions, Jeff, is that well, I I just I it, nobody asked me the follow up. I I didn't mean to mislead anybody. Do you buy that? No, I I don't. I think I still think that he was 
doing CYA with with the latter part of the statement, and he and he lied. Yeah, I think. Well, think. I mean, if if he didn't lie, well, yeah. Are you vaccinated? Yeah, I, I'm immunized. Okay. Well, you know, even even if that yeah is not intended to be affirmative, it's just kind of like some people say okay or but or or, or whatever. Uh, there's no question he intended to create the impression that he in fact been been in, had been vaccinated. And again, it it doesn't make any difference. It, people don't have to. The NFL's rules say you don't have to. But then I, I really do believe he should have been upfront about it. And I, I think. Well, will the NFL do anything to Aaron Rodgers? Probably not. Will the NFL do something to the Packers if it turns out that they were imposing their own Aaron Rodgers rule and we didn't want to, we didn't want to irritate Aaron, so we didn't make him wear a mask here, or we didn't make him do this uh, and that. And, and it's actually, I mean, the, the NFL could come down much harder on the Packers, I think, than they could potentially come down on, on Aaron Rodgers. Okay, let's talk to um, Rich in Greenfield. Rich, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. What do you think? Hey, well, I got to tell you, first of all, he's trying to play semantics because he's busted. I mean, I applaud the effort, but this dude is so calculated. Yeah. He knows what he was doing. Yeah. He, and now he got tripped up because he tested positive. And dude, you just got to wear it now. You're busted. <laughs> nice yeah. try, yeah. but that's how it is. Yeah. Well, that, that's kind of how I, that's sort of, I, you know, I, I love the way you put it. I mean, he was, he, he's, he's a really smart guy. There, there's, there's no question about Everything it. Everything he, he's Everything he says means something. This is not a dumb dude. He is so calculated, right. even down to those silly T-shirts he wears. Right, exactly. And this was clearly, he he didn't want to answer questions about the vaccine. He didn't want to be hassled about, you know, are you unvaccinated? Like, you know, the, the hassles that were coming out when some of the other quarterbacks around the league said they were unvaccinated. He didn't want to deal with it. He thought he was being clever. And, you know, the truth of the matter, like you say, Rich, he <laughs> would have gotten away with it if he hadn't tested positive. No, Nobody would have thought anything. If it weren't for, yes, if it weren't for those darn kids. <laughs> Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. And and I, I I like what Rich said. It's it's sort of like, on, on the one hand, you, you'd almost wish he'd own it. It was, it, it was kind of like Ryan Braun. And I look, and I, I understand Ryan Braun is a whole different situation. Ryan Braun was cheating. Aaron Rodgers wasn't. But, you know, Ryan Braun, wouldn't we have all had so much more respect for him if after he tested positive for steroids, he would have just said, you know, I, I just I did it. I'm really sorry about this. I was coming back from an injury and I got involved in this stuff and, and I did it. I'm sorry. And I'm going to repent. And it w- wouldn't it have. Then it would have become a half-season story because he was suspended. But I don't believe it would have been something that dogged him for his entire career. I, I really don't. Now, th- this is different than Braun, that Rodgers wasn't cheating. But I, I agree with exactly what Rich said, that Aaron Rodgers considers himself to be the smartest guy in the room. And, and in many cases, he might be the smartest guy in the room. You know darn well when he was, and, and I don't believe this was a spontaneous thing at all. You know darn well that Rogers, when he's doing his press conferences, had to anticipate that he's going to be asked the question, hey, are you vaccinated? And you know he thought about this response. And if instead, I mean, there's, there's two ways you could have played this. Are you vaccinated? No, I'm not going to get vaccinated. Here's the deal. My doctors tell me I, I have an allergy to two of the ingredients that are in this you know, Moderna and Pfizer, so I don't think it's in my best interest. I've got some concerns about the J&J, so I'm seeking this alternative sort of thing. 
All right, that, that's that's fine. But of course, you know, if he says that, that opens up all these other doors. So it's just, um, yeah, I've, I've, I've been immunized. And of course, it was a calculated thing. Now, whether that was a lie or whether he just is laughing because he was more clever than the sports writers who didn't think to ask him the, the follow-up, he clearly intended to mislead. I mean, let, let's face it. Now, Again, maybe you can say shame on the sports writers. And I do think that one of the thing, reasons you're getting all this negative coverage, I mean, I, I went through the different headlines, including including sports writers who never write negative things about the Packers. They, they, they're all breaking bad on Rodgers in a big way because they feel he lied to them or misled them or whatever phrase you want. They, they feel that he deceived them. He did it intentionally. And I think they're all honked off that, that he did it to them. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. One text that I think kind of captures this whole Aaron Rodgers thing very well. Jeff, I wish Aaron would have just had the guts, although the texter doesn't use the word guts. I wish Aaron would have just had the guts to say, I didn't want to be part of an experimental vaccine and take the chance of ruining my career. It's his choice with what he does with his body and what he puts in it. It's not the NFL's. I I agree. I I mean, and and look, and that's why I, I, as somebody who's made the decision to get vaccinated, okay, that's just, that's where I come from. But but that's okay. I I don't think, I I don't look down on people who've made the decision not to get vaccinated, but I do think that there there are then rules that you end up having to follow. And I just think it would be so much better if he had simply explained that. I've made, look, I, I've made this, this is the decision, instead of trying to create the impression that he was, in fact, vaccinated when when he wasn't. Uh, Don on the West Side. Don, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Uh, I got, well, two main points. Uh, uh, Aaron Rodgers was complaining that if the vaccine is so good, how come people are getting COVID? If whatever treatment he was getting is so good, how yeah. come he's got COVID? Yeah. <laughs> and, and if he's got COVID... Uh, he should admit it, and he's not vaccinated. Well, I'm not COVID. If he's not vaccinated, he should just follow the rules. But he, it's that uh, right. entitlement mentality that I, I don't have to get vaccinated, and I can still do whatever I want. I don't have to wear a mask. If I want to be in big groups, if I want to talk yeah. uh, in front of the press without a mask, I'm too bad. Yeah, I, I do think that that does kind of play. And, th- and that's where it is going to be interesting to see what the NFL does when you're talking about one of the marquee players, you know, Aaron Rodgers, one of the marquee players. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is one of the reason people tune in nationwide to watch the Green Bay Packers play, you know, because he's, he's, you know, one of the most recognizable superstars. So it's going to be, that's why I, I doubt the NFL does too much to Aaron Rodgers if he in fact did violate the protocols. Wouldn't be surprised though if they come after the Packers. TV is not going to let the NFL do anything to Rodgers. They want him on those games. You know, now the NFL might come down on the Packers somehow, and Rodgers, well, a little slap on the wrist. Please don't do that again. Please start wearing a mask. But we'll see what he does or not. Um, yeah. No, thanks to call. It, it is, and I think that that that's you know one of the things that you are definitely going to look at, and and if if it does turn out that the protocols weren't being followed. I mean, look for, I mean, I, you know, who knows what the NFL could do? I mean, I think clearly they could be talking about fines, but, you know, you could see something as dramatic as losing draft picks or things of the like. Again, I, I respect Rodgers if he doesn't want to get 
the shot. That's that's fine. That's his business. And if he's got reasons for not getting the shot, that's fine. I just think you lose respect for him when he creates the impression that he had, in fact, been vaccinated. And then apparently, in many cases, behaves as if he had been vaccinated when he wasn't. One of our texters, Jeff. Anthony Fauci has misled and participated in wordplay many more times than Aaron Rodgers. Uh, my comment was Anthony Fauci, the Aaron Rodgers of the National Institute of Health. I just, I just, I, I'm, I just, it was one of the textures that made that comparison. I just, just putting that out there. In any event, um, if, if Rodgers is gone for a game or two and the Packers lose those games and that costs some playoff position or the wild or the, um, the buy and stuff, I don't know. I, I think I think the fans might not be as quick to forgive. If, on the other hand, he comes back and they run the table, just like all the stuff that went on in the summer was forgotten when he started winning, that'll be the same thing. All right, salt. You know what salt is? No, I'm not talking about the stuff that you reach out on the table and you, you put on your meat. I am talking about the acronym SALT, which means state and local taxes. This is one of these very interesting things because, on the one hand, in order to pay for all this stuff that Joe Biden wants and Nancy Pelosi wants and Chuck Schumer wants, we're told that we have to get more tax money from the wealthy, right? Well, one of the things that was done and when they, they revamped the tax code in 2017 that actually hurt higher income taxpayers is they put a cap on SALT, state and local tax deductions. It used to be that people from states, and Wisconsin is one of them, where you have like high property taxes and high state taxes, they could write off the amount of money that, that they paid. And this was particularly true if you're from New York or you're Connecticut, the, these high tax states, California, where you pay a lot in state and and local and property taxes. Well, in 2017, they put a limit of that saying you can only write off up to $10,000. And that limited the ability of a lot of people wealthier people, higher income people, it eliminated their ability to write off stuff. And actually, they ended up paying more in taxes. That's kind of the reality. So now we're told, okay, to finance for all this stuff, the, the wealthier aren't paying their fair share, et cetera, et cetera. And yet here's one of the things that's interesting. Where are some of the heavy Democratic enclaves, enclaves across the country? Well, California, New York, New Jersey. Matter of fact, New Jersey, this was a huge issue in the governor's race. So all or most of the Democrats in Congress, for example, from New York and New Jersey and California, they are in, under incredible pressure from their constituencies to do away with this salt, to do away with the limit of $10,000 to allow wealthier taxpayers to write off more and more of their state and local income taxes and take higher breaks. I, I, I point this out without really taking a position one way or the other on limiting state and local taxes. It is just the, I would say irony, but actually the word is hypocrisy. The hypocrisy that's out there that says, okay, well, on the one hand, we want wealthy people to pay more, but when it's wealthy people from districts we represent, well, then what we want to do is we want to give you a lot of tax breaks. Go figure. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. 
And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Well, um, I'm, I'm off next week. I'm going to go chase some sunshine. Melissa, you going to miss me? Of course I'll miss you. <laughs> I love being on your show. <laughs> yeah, well, I, the, the feeling is mutual, yes. Yes, I'm, uh, yes. Well, I'll be... Uh, I'm, I'm going to. Well, go. I wish I was going to Florida with you and Fran and <laughs> yeah, everyone. That, that would be that, nice. That's it. We're going to spend a couple of days mm-hmm. in Key West and things like that. Got to take the pooch out to her uh, t- the day after work. I got to pick her up and then take her out to um, Sister Pat, who takes care of her while she's going. It's, it's actually it's a vacation for for the dog. For the, the dog dog's too. Like, oh yeah. You know, you, <laughs> oh, you we, no. we get out to the yeah. to the gal who keeps her and and Sasha just go. Oh, this is great. You know, <laughs> I get a. But in fairness, she's always glad to see us when we get back. So Do you think you'll ever thing. take Sasha down to Florida with you? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, okay. that's, that's that's the plan for uh, that's the plan for next winter. Yeah, nice. absolutely. But it's you know when you're just going for less than a week, it doesn't make any sense yeah, really to do that. Plus, but no, she so she no she she hasn't been to Florida with us yet. But I I think come next January, that's 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 kind of the plan. She'll be yeah. ready. Well, oh yeah, especially once it gets cold here. That that's still one of the stories I I always tell. Now I know you had a cat and a dog, but yeah. you know when we're talking about the cold weather in January and February, and you know I go to take her out and she'll just kind of look at me and say, "Okay, Dad, I don't see." You pooping like, in the snowbank. No way, yeah, Dad. It's, it's like, <laughs> yeah, right. wait, I don't see this going on. So I, I think maybe she'll enjoy it when it gets a little mm-hmm. bit warmer. But yes, yeah, so just a couple housekeeping matters before you know I sail into the sunset for just a week. Uh, the Brewers, this happens every year. You just, when you're successful, and this is the nature of sports, you just can't keep a team t- together. Um, I think you can make a strong argument that um, Avisal Garcia, Avi Garcia, was if not the the best player on the Brewers team from the beginning of the season till the end, you can you can argue that he was one of of the best players. Um, he of course played right field, had a great year, no question about it. Hit uh, twenty nine home runs, eighty six RBIs. Well, here here's the deal, and and this is it's just what happens with with contracts. He he had signed a two year contract when he came in the first year of his contract the the COVID shortened year he stunk um, you know hit one sixty three um, I'm sorry no he the first year he he did a little bit better than that but it wasn't great but the last year was really a breakout year what happened was there was a, a mutual option team option and a player option that um, if they wanted to stay together they had a third year of of the contract that was out there he 30 years old believes that he can do better um, next year by going on to the free agent market and he can end up making some more money so that's that's fine so he's exercised his option and he's going to test the free agent market so in all likelihood he will not be back with the Brewers and that's a loss they're going to have to figure out you know how to replace him the flip side of that is Jackie Bradley jr who was signed to a big free agent contract um, and who stunk last year I mean let, let's just be honest he he hit 163 which I think might have been the lowest batting average for any semi-regular player in, in baseball. I mean, it was just just amazing how he just completely and totally lost the ability to hit. But still, you know, he, he played solid in the outfield. But in, in this case, they had a mutual option as well, both the Brewers and the player. And to the surprise of no one, the player decided to exercise that option and stay with the team. So that kicked in. So um, he's going to make... Um, 
$9.5 million from the Brewers rather than take a payout and go into free agency because I think he pretty much realizes that just given the season he had, uh, there wouldn't be a lot of teams bidding on his service. So the Brewers keep Jackie Bradley Jr. They lose Avi Garcia, apparently. I guess all we can hope for is that Jackie Bradley Jr., can't hit as poorly next year as he hit this year, and that they'll be able to find a replacement for Avi Garcia. But this is just what happens with teams, especially when teams have players that have great years and things like that. There, there is always this turnover. The Brewers, to me, their, their future kind of depends on on whether Christian Yelich can can get it back. And I I, I still believe that I still believe that his back is bothering him. And I, I know they say that's not the case, but it, it's just. You, you look at the guy's swing, you look at the way he swings now, and you compare it to a couple of years ago, and it's just it's just not the same at all. And it looks to me like his back is bothering him, and he's just swinging, and he's all arms. And anybody who plays golf knows that if you're all arms, you're, you're generally not going to have a lot of power. But in any event, Brewers are going to have a slightly different look next year, but you know the vast majority of the players from this incredibly successful season are, in fact, going to be back. If they can add a couple more key players avoid injuries, well, who knows what this team could do. And that's something. By the way, pitchers and catchers report it's November. They report in, you know, sometime in February. So that countdown clock is ticking. Back with more in just a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, very glad to have you with us. All right, is it a fad or is it something that is here to stay? During COVID, everything changed. You know, if you were used to going to a gym, for example, to work out, a lot of gyms closed down. And I know that even though many gyms have reopened, Still, people aren't back and they're not working out the way they, they did before. Still, I think a lot of people are, are pandemic conscience, conscious. Some people I know are, are back regularly, but it, it's not the same as it was pre-COVID. And the question is going to be, you know, will it ever be that way? But one of the things that happened during COVID is people decided to become more what I'm going to describe as, as self-contained. They did, you know, they figured out different ways to do things. And one of the things that we saw was more and more people, when they were confined to their homes, went into more of, let's let's do our workouts, but we're going to do our workouts at home. And one of the biggest beneficiaries of that was, was Peloton. Now, Peloton makes high-end exercise bikes. We, we've, we've talked about this before. You can get a perfectly good exercise bike for a couple hundred bucks, right? You, you, you can't. The Peloton bikes, high-end, real special things, and they can run, what, a couple thousand dollars. And Peloton bikes, th- this was one of the huge success stories of of COVID. And during the pandemic, they couldn't keep them in stock. As a matter of fact, Peloton got criticized because they kept selling bikes and bikes and bikes, despite the fact that their supply chain was having problems. And people would order a bike and think they could get it in two weeks, and it turned out to be four or five months. Created a huge issue. But people were flocking to the Peloton bikes. In addition to that... One of the ways that, that Peloton makes money, it's not just selling you the bike, just like 
you know, Hewlett Packard makes money selling you the, the laser printer, but the real dough is in, in selling you the ink. You know, it's selling you the ink for the, the laser printer. Same thing is true with Peloton, which it's not just the bike, but what happens is you also have subscriptions to the, the workout facilities, the, the workouts. And I, I was talking to somebody the other night, and they were like on a first name basis almost with a number of the different, you know, workout people at, at Peloton. Because, okay, here, you know, we're going to be in a session that, that, that Kyle is having, and we're going to be in a session that Janet is having. And, and so you have these different, uh, I, again, people pay for subscriptions that makes a ton of money as well to, again, work out over the internet with the the Peloton people. And I I know people, including some people that are close to me, they're just absolutely addicted to that, and they just absolutely love it. Well, the interesting thing about this to me is that um, Peloton, the the bloom may be off the rose, because what Peloton is saying, their shares of stock dropped more than 34% in pre-market trading today, wiping out almost nine B as in billion dollars from the company's market capitalization because um, their first quarter earnings were much lower than they thought they would be. The company also slashed its sales outlook for the full year um, to like about 1.1 billion down by from about 1.5 billion. And what they're talking about is they're now starting to see softening demand as more people say, you know, we, we've, we've bought these, these high end bikes and stuff, but all right, there might now start to be this kind of expensive sort of clothes hangers as we decide that we're going to go back to the gyms now that things loosen up. All right, we only got a couple minutes. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Things like Pel- Peloton was the hottest thing. This was more popular than canned beer last year. They couldn't keep these bikes in stock as people try- bought them and signed up for all the workouts and stuff. All right, now that the pandemic is easing in many parts of the country, is this going to turn out to be a fad? Or are all the people that, that purchased these bikes over the course of the last year and a half and invested all this money in it, are they going to keep with it? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if you're one of those Peloton riders, I would be particularly interested in talking to you. Um, are you Are you going to stick with it or... You think you're going to go back to the gym or move on to something else? 855-616-1620. We discuss. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line uh, Peloton, which is the high-end kind of exercise bike. And we, we've talked about this before. It was my feeling that this was going to turn out to be, and, and fad might be too strong a word, but this was going to be sort of a, a kind of flash in the pan during COVID because I mean, these are pricey exercise bikes. Like I say, you, you can go and you can buy an exercise bike for a perfectly fine exercise bike for a couple hundred bucks. You know, the, the Peloton exercise bikes, you can drop, what, over two grand for one. And then, of course, the, where they really make their money is then you sign up for these subscriptions so you can go on the Internet and you can work out with the Peloton advisors and stuff. So they get you in that way. I, I understand how popular this was during COVID. And I guess I always believed that 
it, it's great that Peloton is selling these bikes. It's great that people are interested. But my feeling was that once the COVID restrictions eased, that what you were going to see is a lot of people just simply decided that they, they wanted to go back to the gym, that they wanted that socialization, or that they simply got tired of it. And it appears that that's what you are seeing. Now, one of our listeners says, oh, my their gym, gym, my gym is absolutely bustling. It's never been busier. I work out Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday. And and, and maybe that's the case to some people. I, I think in general, if you would talk to most gym owners, they would tell you that the attendance is coming back, but it's nothing like it was, you know, but before COVID. It, people just, first of all, they've fallen out of a habit, number one. Secondly, I think what happens is you've got a lot of people who just still aren't comfortable being in crowds in that particular situation. So, you know, that's the, you know, that's the, you know, that that's the deal. And so, they're not quite back yet. So there's always going to be a need for that home exercise equipment. But I think if you look at, at Peloton and you look at the numbers and the fact that you know people have stopped buying it, that tells you pretty clearly that, all right, they, they hit their high during the, the COVID years and that more and more people are starting to get back to normal. And I, I think the demand for the super high-end exercise bikes and the access over the Internet, things like that, think it's I think that is decreasing okay quick reminder this is the first Sunday in November um, and this of course happens as late as it can possibly happen but the reason we always talk about the first Sunday in November is that that's when you have daylight saving time ending so uh, this is the time where you got to remember that at two o'clock in the morning on Sunday morning you, you fall back, you turn back the clocks uh, an hour, we get back that hour of sleep that we lost, and it's going to continue that way until, what, early March or something like that. The downside of this, of course, is that while it's going to become light earlier in the day, that means it's going to become dark sooner in the evening. So we'll be in that period of time, you know, starting like right about now through I don't know, January, where it seems like it's dark when you wake up in the morning and then it's dark when you go to work. These really are kind of the the dog days of of winter. It's one of the reasons why I always have this mental countdown clock in my mind. It's kind of like, okay, the, the winter solstice is December 21st. And so once you hit December 21st, the amount of daylight starts to increase. So that's always kind of like one of the mental notes that I make. And then, all right, that's going to increase. So the days are going to, daylight hours are going to start to get longer. And then, okay, you get through January and February is a short month and there's only like 28 days and then you got March. Do you find yourself doing that, Melissa? I don't. I, well, I, that's no. what you, I sort of I find myself wishing away, you know, chunks of time yeah. in the winter. No, I have done that before, but I think for me, I just look forward to the extra hour of sleep because <laughs> you fall back, you get an extra hour. But then for me, sometimes it's hard to kind of get reacclimated with the feeling of the time. Mm-hmm. Like when you're get done at work, it's usually light. Oh, now it's dark. Or mm-hmm. when you get up in the morning, it's dark and now it's light. So that whole thing usually takes me a few days to get used well, to. Well, I, I, like I said, I'm, I'm on vacation next week, so I, I've, I've, ta- <laughs> yeah. I've taken off the week to kind of like just... 
just sort of Relax. forget about that that mm-hmm. whole thing and just get adjusted so that when you know I come back to town, I'll, I'll be just like ready to go and all adjusted and not have to worry about well, any of that a, stuff. That's a great idea, and it'll be nice and sunny down in Florida, hopefully. So I, I sure hope so. Come back all, all tan. <laughs> well, I, I don't know about that, but I but I but I but I sure hope so. That that's that's actually mm-hmm. that's part of the plan. Okay, when we come back, we'll talk to John McCure, find out what he and Melissa have on their minds on Wisconsin's afternoon news.